Welcome to the Hustle System Podcast, where we unpack the patterns of success and failure of some of my favorite people in the space of internet marketing, performance sports, athletics, artists, producers, you name it. Today with me, we have Mr. Anthony Trucks. Anthony is quite an awesome character and really blew me away in this episode. He's a former linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers, retired at 24, and now has moved on to be a motivational speaker, entrepreneur, and business coach. He's been featured on Ninja Warrior, Wall Street Journal, Sparnub Podcast, Entrepreneur on Fire, and many, many other awesome media sources, which we will make sure to include down below. And you can find him on socials at Anthony Trucks on his website, www.anthonytrucks.com, and on the Aw Shift podcast, which he runs and is really quite awesome. I highly recommend you check it out. Anthony's got a fascinating story. He was in foster care from three years old, found himself at eight years old, moving across six foster homes within three years. On this episode, we unpack personal performance, ownership, um, how to take your dreams and turn them into reality, the pros and cons of parenting under pressure, as well as many, many other rather amazing topics. This was an episode that was really inspirational and really humbling for me, and I hope you enjoy it. We've never wavered from that vision. Beyond yourselves and ourselves, I have a dream. Freedom is indivisible. I took the initiative in creating the internet. There have come with incredible rapidity, one electrical arc after another. Still trying to get myself adjusted. It really is a revolution. Awesome. Anthony, thank you so much for being here with me today. So let me do you justice on this intro. Um, I've gone through your stuff, foster care at three. NFL, business coach, gym, a lot of moments, a lot of really, really heavy energy that then you've had to dissipate yourself through sheer will and determination. And I think on the authority end, um, there's a lot that we could do justice for. But actually, where I would like to start is what is your earliest memory that you have? Yeah, man. Uh, first thing for having me, man, I, I appreciate the opportunity to share uh, whatever my life has for somebody who will hear it and help them. So thank you for bringing me on. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, my earliest memory is not the fun ones. I think everybody like goes back like childhood, like, oh, I was, you know, eating ice cream with grandpa. Um, for me, my first memory was my mom um, giving me away to foster care. I remember like the house I was in, me getting called to the back of the house, her like leaning down, giving me a kiss, like handing my hand to this strange lady, didn't know. She like drags me in this black car in Victoria, puts me in, and I hear my three siblings crying, and then we drive off. And it was, uh, it's the only, it's the first thing I could think of, the only thing that comes to mind, the first memory. And it's that one that was just so like burned in because it's a difficult one. It's like, you don't matter. You're scared. You're lost. And those who can't say this has happened to them, if you've ever in your life had this feeling of like, I'm lost, I'm scared, I don't know what's going on, I'm out of control, like that's what that felt like. I just had it happen at three years old as opposed to like 30 years old. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned it at eight years old, right? You were in your sixth foster home over three years mm -hmm. and your period fr from eight until 28 is, is quite fascinating because um, you're an NFL linebacker, right? In the Steelers and then had a yeah. shoulder industry uh, injury, which, mm -hmm. which is a real reset on your dream button, right? That's, that's hard. Oh, yeah. um, and one thing I find fascinating is kind of, I call it the horse blinders effect, where when you have all this stuff going on around you, sometimes you can't pull the strength from within. And so you choose to channel whatever energy you have towards something. And that for you um, was football. So can you maybe yeah. talk a little bit about uh, how you went about putting on those horse blinders and saying, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm going to go after it. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously you're, you're, uh, you're physically very gifted, uh, but I'm sure there's a, a, a mental capacity there that you had to at some point say, I'm going to choose to tap into this. Uh, what did that look like for you? Yeah, man, I think uh, one, I think it's a tap in, but I think it's a development. So for me, that happened. I was 15. I'd gone through the foster care system. Like you said, I was in a system for 11 years, adopted at 14. And so uh, for a lot of my years of life, like the world didn't give me any sense of grace or, or I didn't matter. 
And then, you know, I get to this point where now I can try this thing that, that I want to try, which is football. And I didn't at the time, like, have this belief in self. I was like, I'm going to try it because it looks fun. I've been doing it at recess, you know, like all my friends get to wear their jerseys on Friday and they look amazing. And I'm like, I want to try that. And it was happening as I go out and I suck. <laughs> like, I'm really bad. And we all have that initial, like, bout of, of disdain of that, this thing that I want to do that I want it so bad. I just suck at it. And I don't want to feel it again. So I did what most people do. And I, I kind of disappeared. I ran away from it. I was like, I'm going to go do something else. I had the excuse that I was this football player that was, you know, former, you know, foster kid. Like, I didn't deserve anything. And I had these moments in life that kind of shaped me as this girl. And the moments you asked how that come to be, this girl's in my uh, English class, Mr. Howe's English class, uh, freshman year. And she's talking to some other girl, having no idea I'm listening. And she says, well, the reason I'm so bad is because I'm in foster care. And as simple as the statement is, uh, I was gifted with what most people don't get, which is I was gifted with the opportunity to hear my excuse out loud. And mm. it was a bad one. I was like, that was like, just didn't sound right. Like, what's that? Ugh. Like, I just remember that Ugh feeling, you know? And so I went home, I was like, man, I'm gonna find a way to be great. And so I did is I was like, I don't know what a good football player does, but I'm gonna try to figure out what that is and then do it myself. And so that was kind of where I spent time. I would just go lift weights, run routes. I would learn to play, but I do everything I could that I thought a great football player would do. And I came back the next year, man, and I just I destroyed people. And this is where you're asking about when did that switch come in? And what it was, was you have to find a moment in time when you're willing to fight for yourself when it matters. And that moment came when it was me and that, that other player and like his one-on-one -on -one drill. Like I didn't let him, he didn't deserve to beat me. I didn't let him win. Like I'd done the work in the background. You can't, this is mine. Sorry, no. And, and so what ends up happening is I, I, over my years, I looked back and realized that was the moment that things changed. I realized that what you create creates you. Like mm -hmm. what I, I created in the weight room was a faster athlete, a stronger athlete, a, just a more, uh, just, just vibrant. But then internally I created this guy that was like, you can't take this from me. I fought for myself in the moments it mattered right then and there. And this shows up for a person who has the job, they fight for that raise or they fight for the, what they should be paid as, a, as an entrepreneur or a person that fights for, you know, the, what's, what's honest and right about them and, and that fights for their, their integrity. Like you'll do it if you know, you've done the work in the background, only Absolutely. you know it. Right. And so, so that's kind of where that, that, that kind of switch came on. It's what I've been applying over years without knowing it. Obviously it happened where I went to college and, you know, I, I married my high school sweetheart out of, out of college for the NFL, had my first son at 20, like a lot of weird ups and downs and a lot of different identities I had to navigate. And then, yeah, man, it turned into this person who on the back end, I've always, we always get met with opposition, man, every day I get, I get met with it last week. Last week I got this weird email of someone trying to blackmail me. Cause they someone got pictures of my wife, like nude pictures, like this just keeps coming, you know, it's not and stop, man. It, it's just the world we live in. And, and the thing for me is I live my life incredibly clean, but people still will come after you. And so the mind that, that I have, which really is what it is, it's my identity. Like I'm the guy that does right in the dark. So it never comes at a light. And I'm the guy that just works. Like I I'm trying to seek that next tier of what my potential would be. That's why I do a bunch of weird things. Like the NFL was one piece. Now I speak and I've done consulting. I've been on American Ninja War, like all these weird out of the box things. Yeah, yeah you're uh, like, you've been featured on Wall Street Journal, yeah. um, Spartan Up podcast. That one's great. We're going to link that one down yeah. below because you unpack your story and that one's so great. Um, Entrepreneur on Fire, man. So like you're doing really yeah. great things. Uh, we'll, yeah. we'll circle back around to Brendan Bouchard and some of that stuff too. Yeah. Positive mindset. Um, we'll hit that. I think it's important to set the stage properly here. Now, yeah. um, you, you have a, a moment uh, here that, that's a very personal moment for me to unpack really quickly before we keep blazing forward. Mm -hmm. And that's um, when you're 19, uh, meeting your father. Um, yeah. So um, just so you so for the folks that are listening that might not know my version of this, um, I was blessed to be around my father until I was about eight and a half. And then I moved to the United States and I happen to have seen him twice in the next 20 years. So that's a, a story that really resonates with me on a different level. I understand every story is unique. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that as far as identity as a man and seeing yeah. that, how that impacted um, the type of man you, 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 you made a decision to become off of yeah. those moments? Yeah, man. So I, I, you know, I grew up in a situation where my real mom is white. My birth certificate says my dad's name is Daniel Patrick O'Byrne, which is Irish. So if my mom's white, my dad's white. I don't know how this guy came to be. So all my life, I knew something was off. I grew up the only black person in all white family. So even when I got adopted, I was still the only you know, black person. And uh, my dad's a loving guy. Like, don't be wrong. He's a very incredible, amazing guy, very blue collar, you know, welder. Like he's just a grunt dude. He's a dude's dude. He looks like Homer in real life. That's the best way I can explain it. <laughs> Love him. 
And, you know, I get to this point where I'm 19 and, and for a lot of years, I never tried to seek out my biological father. I never knew he existed, had no issue there. And then there's a moment in time where somehow my real grandma got a hold of me, had some conversations. My fiance, which was my high school sweetheart, eventually my wife, she's like, hey, ask for your dad's last name. I was like, I'm not worried about it. I'm like, she's like, no, no, ask for his last name. So I asked my grandma, she's like, oh, no, no, your mom said never tell you. I was like, well, what's what's going on? Like, tell me, tell me. And I was like, ah, I'm not going to keep pressing. Eventually I keep pressing. My, my fiance was like, just figure it out. Find out last name's Asaibovo. And so we search it in the databases. There's five in the United States. I reach out to the guy. And I grew up in the East San Francisco Bay Area. And they have like these towns. It goes like, you know, Pittsburgh, Bay Point, Walnut Creek, uh, Martinez, Concord, and so on. And so I call him. I'm like, hello. And he has a very thick Nigerian accent. And I was like, hey, do you know a woman named Marie uh, from Concord, California? He says, no, I know a woman named Marie from Martinez, California, neighboring cities. I says, well, you know, I, my name's Anthony. I said I was born in 1983. And he goes, oh. Um, yeah, your, your, your mother and I split in 1983 because um, she said she was pregnant with an Italian man's baby. I'm like, oh, well, I'm not Italian. And uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, she's my mom. And he goes, oh, I said, I think there, you might be my father. And he says, I think so. And come to find out, like, you know, he had never known about me. She had apparently, like, you know, took off and ran off and just, you know, didn't really tell him who I was. And then for all these years, he had no idea I existed. And he was, you know, he was sad. And so what happened is my true sophomore year in college just took place. Uh, I found out who he was. Then my first collegiate start, we uh, we played against Mississippi State. He was from Marietta, Georgia. So I had my first collegiate start, national television. I got a game ball, and I got to be my dad for the first time. So it was really unique to get a chance to feel like like I had a sense of like my foundation, where I came from, what was going on. So you say identity, like I got a chance to see a piece of my identity. I've uh, apparently I'm from uh, a lineage of of kings, which is the Itsekiri tribe, which is in Nigeria. Had no idea. Um, so some really cool things. And, and the other part of it is like how it shaped me as a man. I was like, man, I never, I never knew he didn't know me. Right. So I had that thought fast forward nine years before he passed. He actually told me, Hey, I just want to let you know that all your life, I did know you existed. And it was one of those moments. I'm like, man, like, do I get mad? Like, how does it operate? And I just, you know, I've always found people who've been trying to do the best they can. They just make mistakes and he made a mistake and I wasn't going to hold it on him. So I was like, Hey, you know, I grasp it. And I realized that for me, I never want to have my kids have a, a guess of like, who's dad? What's he like? Where's his heart? Does he love me? Where is he present? So like, I like dad is up the high, high part of the list of my identity. Like I'm a father. Like I'm, I tell people I'm a regular dude, man. I got to put my kids up after this podcast, to be honest, regular dude within a regular desire to help the world from my experiences. So that moment of like finding my dad and knowing that whole journey really shaped like how I, I see the world, how I see people and how I forgive people. That's huge. Thank you for unpacking that. I was going to follow up with how much did that parental relationship affect, you know, your blueprint as a father? I think you impact that a little bit. Um, maybe if you can give us what, what's one thing that you say do for your kids that call it the torch, right? Yeah. Like boom. Mm -hmm. What, what's that thing that you do that cements it for yourself that you're doing, you're doing the for work? My kids? Yeah. yeah. I think for me, it's I, well, I consistently every night at dinner, we have, we sit at the table and we do good day, bad day. So you get to hear the good things about my day, bad things about it. So there's a consistent conversation. Um, and then we do these things called dad days. So dad day, like today at three o'clock, I do it with my daughter, which is an hour of time. It's just me. We sit in the theater room, play board games. Like I just spend time. So you had to ask her questions. She asked me questions. I, I get to know my kids as humans. I think sometimes we're trying to raise somebody that we're never getting to know. And then we wonder why when we get old, like they just, you know, they disappear into their thing. And it's like, I want my kids to want to come home during the holidays. And it's not going to happen because I was dead and, and told them where to go. And when, you know, you're in trouble and do this, it's because they had a relationship and they missed this person. And so for me, it's the big thing that is, is a, a way that I look at the relationships and how I would tell people is, man, develop that relationship just like you would any other relationship, your wife, your, your best friends, like spend time with them. They may have different conversations, but Hey, had the conversation over the years to establish a good relationship. That's beautiful. Yeah. The word that comes up for you a lot is shift, right? Shifts everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fascinating to see that. And I think let's unpack that a little bit more. Um, yeah. How much did that instability? So, so here's, I'm going to kind of fast track this and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, mm -hmm. I had a similar thing with certain aspects of my life where, um, there's an unstable situation. And so as a man, um, you overcompensate on certain things. Like I'm OCD, man. My house is like spotless. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, every time I have a friend or, or a girl over, they're like, yo, like you're OCD. like, 
my little essential oils are at like perfect distances with the yeah. labels facing out. Right. So, so that, 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 that's kind of like an overcompensation of, you know, my, my SOPs for my business, like you name it. Um, so what are the things that you found to be kind of overcompensations? Mm -hmm. And then how did you go about drawing the line of saying, no, no, I've compensated enough. I can kind of ease up a little bit. And, and how did you go about kind of, I call it like fighting the paranoia, right? Fighting the paranoia yeah. that is going to slip back down. Yeah, how do you how do you kill the monster that that's always like stirring? I I I grew up with ADHD, so I had this little devil's inside. Like I get up and just scream for no reason. I just ah, you know. <laughs> and so I did have those overcompensations. I still have some. Like my son has ADHD, so I I try to get him to stop doing things I would do because I realize what happened in life to me because I acted that way. So I'm almost sometimes too much there, but it's just so I can help him ward off. The getting in trouble at school every day and, you know, not being allowed to go to different trips and camps and, you know, not allowed to go to birthday parties because he's a crazy kid. There's those things. But also when I was um, in the middle of my crisis, like at one point I'd lost football, I'd lost my marriage, uh, I'd, you know, I'd lost the family, I'd lost my health. Like I had no root and base of Anthony. The winds up happening, I try to find a way to lean in and build this business. So I, I overcompensated in trying to create something to give me self-worth. And what it did was it tore everything else apart, man. I, I wasn't the father of the guy. Like I, who I am now is not who I was like 10 years ago, which is the truth for a lot of people, but I've vastly grown and so much so that I teach it now. Right. And, and what I found was, is along these journeys is a lot of things that we don't focus on because we just don't want to, there's a lot of pain associated with it. And for me, it was just going back and unpacking and, and seeing the, the different aspects of like where I was the major problem in my life and where I was overcompensating and had to calm the, the hell down, man. So, yep. so what I do now is like when that little monster pops up, I, I typically ask myself like, what, what's important and where do I need to be present mentally when I'm there physically? So with dad days or with my wife on date days, or when I'm doing work or this podcast, I'm very present. And, and that's what kind of quells the monster is realizing that, that if I was to lock myself in a room for 30 days, didn't need sleep and work, I would still come out of that space with stuff to get done. It just Absolutely. would happen. So Absolutely. I'm like, hey, at the end of the day, like just, just live life. So I, I try to smell the roses as I'm passing them. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being present. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll circle back to presence. And, you know, there's a statistic, like by the time kids are, I think like 18, 19, they've spent 93 to 97% of the time that they're going to spend with their parents. Uh, that's an interesting one, right? Yeah. And I, yeah. there's a lot of like statistics like that that you can unpack. Um, and I think maybe there's, there's another golden nugget since we're talking about shifts and moving things forward and, and passing the ball. Um, let's rewind back to 2010. Uh, you're, you're at the gym, you get that eviction notice. Mm -hmm. Um, so you had to shut the gym down. Right. And then, uh, almost, almost, did, almost. Did. Yeah. So, 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 so it's a real, it's a real punch. And it's like that Mike Tyson quote, right? Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. So, <laughs> so you kind of have, have that little moment, but then, um, yeah. you got it back up to like, you know, 27, uh, a month yeah. pretty fast, right? It's, it's like within two months. So what was that thing? Uh, what happened there? Well, like what were the mistakes you were making and, um, how did that reality check make you snap in and kind of put all the pieces together? Uh, mm -hmm. Let's talk through that. I think that'd be great for the guys. Yeah. So the biggest thing I had was a massive ego. And you talk about shift. This is where one of the one of the many shifts took place. But the ego is what I call everyone's greatest obstacle before it comes everyone's greatest op opportunity. Uh, but for me, the obstacle was I didn't need any help. I'm a former NFL athlete. I got a degree in kinesiology. I know how to run a business. I'll get this done. I had no idea what I was doing. So the ego popped up and it reared its head. And nine months into the gym, I couldn't pay rent. And I was looking at bankruptcy. Guy rolls up on a Harley, hands me a letter. You get two weeks to pay, work it out. And it was three months later, I think I got it from like around four to seven grand a month to making 27,000. And what I did uh, was one of the, the big keys for me in the work I do now. We're always having these different things that are uh, things we enjoy doing, right? They're the normalcy that we have. But the normalcy we have has got us where we're at, especially if it's a problem. It's not a good thing. And we don't realize that, that when we say things like, I've tried everything, I, I, everything I could do, I've already done. It's like, no, you tried everything that you feel comfortable doing or that you know how to do. And if you don't do uncomfortable things, or you don't seek out new information, you can't do new things, you can't have new outcomes. For me, the, the thing I did to grow the business was I went out and said, hey, I'm going to drop the ego. So I got some coach who had information. I said, teach me. I'm not great at this. Teach me, which was a first. And then what I did is I was presented with a lot of different actions that were outside my comfort zone and new to me that I had to take action on. And I didn't like the feeling of it. Like I just, to be a part of it was cold calling people 
asking for help. Like this former NFL guy doesn't ask for help, right? And it wasn't part of my identity to do these things, but I had to have massive internal shifts of what I accepted, what I would do, what was good, what was bad, what was right, what was wrong, and, and shift to take actions that felt so uncomfortable. But over time, this thing that was overwhelming or was had internal contention to me became normalcy, just what I did. Beforehand, oh, that's not who I am. Ugh, I don't want to do that. Second, like, oh, yeah, that's what I do. And now all of a sudden, the business starts rolling. And like with the first cold call, I was like, oh, man, this is gross. The 10th one, like, ugh, still... But by the hundredth, bro, it was like, oh, let's do this. Come up. Let's go. Like it was, it was normal and natural. It was like, it felt like a, like a badge of honor. And that's a lot of the, the same concepts for a lot of people struggling right now. We all have these new tools and techniques we get information for, but when the rubber meets the road, we have contention because it doesn't feel like us. And it's just, oh, and I don't know if I do that. But imagine if that thing that moves the needle, that action, if it was like a typical Monday morning to you, success be your second nature. Like that's what I, I focus on. Like how do I make that? your second nature to do those things. And in that moment in time for the business, that's where I had that first taste of like, oh, it's a lot of things I don't know, I don't know. And it's gonna be a, a big journey to shift to do these things. But when I do, man, things magical can happen. That's beautiful. Okay, there's there's a lot to unpack. So I did a four hour mentoring call with my students yesterday and we unpacked actually this quite a bit. I call it results and reflection. So there's this idea that you know, when you look around and you, you might be in a, a situation where you don't have the money you want, or you might be, um, you know, homeless, uh, et cetera, et cetera, or just not getting the results, right? Living in a, a grown man, living in a whatever, a one bedroom apartment. And that's not, the, it's not what you quote identify as. So yeah. the conversation we had was um, the identity, the being has to come first. Okay. Yeah. So because when you're in the state of being, then the doing follows it. Mm -hmm. And then life reflects back and life is going to test you. Life is going to ref reflect back and say, no, you're, you're not as good as you think you are, right? Mm -hmm. You can't show me you really are that person you see inside and it's going to test yeah. you and pushing through that. So um, the follow-up question for this for you would be, you know, you mentioned fear, you mentioned shifts. Mm -hmm. um, let's say uh, I came to you. Uh, so what I want to do is I want to do an excuse shattering uh, mm. moment because <laughs> I think you'll enjoy yeah. this. I, I, you know, you're, you're so good at breaking through that. So let's say I came to you and threw whatever excuse at you, right? Yeah. Oh, um, you know, I can't build a hundred million dollar a year company or mm -hmm. I can't do this. I can't be that. What's mm -hmm. the first place you attack in the that type place, of mindset? Yeah. First thing is, is what do you want to have? So it's one thing to say, I can't make a hundred million dollar business and you having no desire to do it. Because if you don't want to do it, then I have, there's no reason to have a conversation there. So the first thing I always ask people is like, where, where do you want to go? And they'll tell me what they'd like to do. And then they tell me the excuses why they can't. So my assumption is you want to build a $100 million business, but you're telling me I can't do it. And then when I ask myself, well, why can't you? And then I'm going to get a list of excuses. I can't do this. I can't do this. This is too hard. I don't have this. I don't have X. I don't have Y. And then so what I typically do is sit back and I just I nod my head and let people finish their statement. And then I ask a really honest, straightforward question. The question is, do you think the person that has a $100 million business, does any of what you just said come out of their mouth? And it really is what it boils down to. It's the root of it. Because when I look at the people that, that like, I'll say I had a, a crazy day, but then I'll sit back and I'll say, but would Tony Robbins, would, I don't know, Russell, you know, R Russell Brand, or the actor, would Richard Branson, would Oprah, P. Diddy, would any of them look at my schedule and say, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, Ann. No, they'd look at it and laugh. They'd be like, that, that was what you did? They're like, I did that this morning between 6 and, and 11 p.m. or a.m. Mm -hmm. like, that's, that's how they would look at my day. That was my 6 to 12, man. That was half my day. That's nothing. And so what I look at is, is if you were going to make an excuse, I need to know and I need you to grasp the excuse. No matter what it is, good or bad, it's never good enough to be in the way of where you choose to go. And if you don't want to go there, make an admittance. Hey, I don't want to be there. But if you do, question, is that something that that person does? Do they, do they say that? Do they think that way? Because if they don't, then that's not a good enough excuse, man. You got to work past that. And if the, the, the problem with excuses, excuses give us a stop, like a stop sign. Here's my excuse. Stop sign. This is why I can't do a stop sign. Well, my thing is like, I don't, I don't need you to give me an excuse. You can say, hey, I'm being stretched. Because stretched is, is actually a normal thing. If you think about like athletes, we stretch before we run because it creates a longer, stronger muscle more potential power, more potential speed. I go faster. I don't pull a muscle. So I'm not sitting the sidelines for too long. 
But in life, that same stretch, think about when I actually stretch, it hurts like, oh, got to hold it 10, breathe, nine, eight, I got to hold and it hurts like I stay in the pain. But a lot of us, when life stretches us because something feels difficult or it's painful, we remove ourselves quickly. Oh, I don't want to do that. We don't lean into the stretch because that stretch in life, it creates more range to do more. It creates a longer, stronger muscle for life. And those who don't stretch, when life does pop up and you have an opportunity, you pull a muscle in life. You're sitting on the sidelines watching it because you weren't prepared for it. So for me, that stretch is a physical thing I can attach to an emotional concept, which is, yeah, it's going to be hard and it's, it's going to be difficult, but lean into the stretch, hold it. So that when life shows up and there's an opportunity, you can stay, keep pace with it, not pull a muscle. That's powerful. Yeah. I find a lot of entrepreneurs, especially, uh, or people that want to be entrepreneurs, right? They'll, they'll, they'll self-validate the beliefs they currently have, not the beliefs yeah. that they need to have. And so yeah. Yeah, just keep that in mind for those of you that are listening, whatever actions you have been taking and are planning on taking are probably wrong. If you want to get a new result, there's a certain percentage of them that are just plain uh, not accurate, right? No, if you want to make I'm a certain amount to. of money, yeah, exactly. Or if you want to get in really good shape, right? Let's say I'm going in the gym and I'm only running, right? And I'm like, yo, why am I not, not building muscle? And you're like, well, hello, what, what else have you been doing? I'm like, I've been running a lot. And you're like, yeah, that's not the way you do it. So if you switch the identity, then you switch the actions and we can unpack that a little bit more. Uh, one yeah. thing I want to touch on really quickly, you mentioned, you know, would Tony Robbins do this? Would Puffy do this? Like uh, that implies having a reference point. What was yeah. your reference point when you were young? What was that kind of light at the end of the tunnel um, for you? Yeah, you know, what's funny is I never had big goals. Uh, I set different styles of goals than most people do. Uh, I don't set it on like numerics and money I, I, because I'm more of a, a commitment or a performance type driven person. When I was a kid, my big thing was like, what does the next step look like? And that's for me always like, it's daunting to look at the top of the mountain. But if I'm like, where's the next step have to be placed to move that direction? I'll just do that. So as a kid, I didn't, I didn't have any big dreams because everything was a bigger opportunity than I thought was possible at the time. Like when I was a foster kid, it was just like, have a family that doesn't give you away in a few months, you know, it was have a place where you can eat food consistently, not get beat. Like those are my aspirations. So when I got to the world of like, okay, now I'm adopted and I'm, I'm playing football and I'm actually pretty good and I've got to college and it's like, everything is bonus rounds. Like I'm living in the bonus rounds of my life right now. Uh, it's like you, you play like Sonic the Hedgehog or like Mario, but you won the round. Now it's like, all right, what more can you get? Like you want to get more, but everything is great. If you don't get all of it, like it's still okay. So I'm kind of in the bonus rounds. And what I look at is I can never really see if I'm like a, a little miniature six foot in or six inch Anthony, look at these steps, right? I can't see the top of the staircase down there, but I can see the next step. I can hear the next step. I can, I can smell what's being cooked up there. So I'm like, I just want to get to the next step. I'm not worried about two, three, four, five. I just always have this mindset of I want to get to the next step and see it because I know it's going to expose me to the next one and the next one and the next one. So for me, I'm realizing like every step of my life has always been being at one level and looking at what's the very next one look like. For football, I was, you know, be better in high school, then get a college scholarship, then play in the NFL, then come home and open a gym. And it's been multiple steps of consulting and then traveling and speaking and writing books. And I do this stuff. Like I travel and coach people on how to make identity shifts, like tangibly, it's just multiple steps. And to be honest, I don't think I've hit the top step of my staircase. There's still more I have planned to do. Like at some point I want to have like a, a TV show and I want to have something that has reach and it actually gets into more people's lives. I got a bunch of weird stuff. I think of. I want to act at some point, no idea why, but I'm like, what does that next level look like? And, and so for me, I'm a guy living what I teach, which is how do you reach that next tier of potential? And all it is is saying, look, I love the step I'm on, but I can always go back a step. Once I've covered a step, I can always go back to it. So there's nothing wrong with seeking the next one, right? It's not like I'm saying, I don't want this anymore. This all sucks. I'm like, hey, cool. I got these, these steps below me. I can always go do that. Awesome. What more can I get? What more bonus rounds and ring can I get? And that's always the goal for me. That's tight. Yeah, you talk about slow versus go, breaking that yeah. down. So let's unpack the coaching really quick because I think that's important. Um, what are some of the breakthroughs that you're seeing? Uh, I see you've got, you've got a couple of different systems. You have like a six-step system. You've got a bunch of different ways that you approach uh, mm -hmm. identity level change. You know, you've worked with Brendan, which is super cool. Um, mm -hmm. How do you, how do you approach that? Or, or let's, let's spin it a different way. What's the most recent realization that you've had maybe even this year so far mm -hmm. about your coaching that you're excited to apply and then maybe reverse engineer, break down the system for the yeah. guys that are listening so they can understand. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is I don't have to be uh, present in every conversation 
to be able to have the, the, a better, if not a, a phenomenal outcome for my clients. It's just a matter of teaching them how to lay out the steps for themselves. Realistically, I can't make somebody feel amazing. I can give them tools and guidance and, and motivate them to take the step, but you don't feel amazing until you've done the work. When I succeed because it was my hard work, that's when I get like, oh, that's who I am. That's how you make a shift. I can't talk words into your head to make you feel a certain way or do something. Like You, you have to own that internally. So that's been the, the coolest thing is how do I extract the concepts from my head? So a lot of my work has been based in frameworks. There's multiple different mini and inner frameworks, but the main one is see, shift, sustain. The coaching that I work people through is a very simplified, structured process that combines my life stories, but mostly neuroscience and psychology in the very easy to understand and very simple to apply concepts that are hard to stay consistent with. That's the beauty of it. I like the idea that it's a little bit difficult because if it's not difficult, you don't have that investment. No investment, you don't feel like I got to put the time in to get a return. Like it's just how it really is for a lot of people. If you put investment and you want a return. And, and so what I've found is like I have clients that the little nuances in the moments is where I get to make some of the coolest nudges. Like I got a client who um, two weeks ago told me I have 18X his investment would work with me. And the only difference he really did was like he had some strategies and he'd had bought a bunch of different softwares and he had all this stuff there. But he, he would get to points where he'd be working towards something and an opportunity would pop up and he'd be like, ah, oh, I don't want to do this. I just, what if I do? What if I, what if I, and that slower go you talked about people have slower go identities. Like when met with opportunity, if I'm a slow identity, I'll steer away from it because I don't know, I don't want to mess up. So it passes me by. When met with opposition, if it's a slow identity, I slow down, I tuck away, I don't want to experience it. A go identity says opportunity, let's do it. Let's see what happens. I break it, who cares, let's figure it out. And in opposition, I'm like, all right, let's tackle it and see what I got. It's a go. And so I've been, I've been nudging him to a go. And, and what we did for him, it's only been like the last six months we've been working together. But he'd have, for example, I introduced him to someone for a podcast to get on and he had a meeting in person to meet with this person. And the night before he reaches out, says, man, I don't know if I want to go. What if I waste this guy's time? Like his slow identity started popping up. He wanted to cancel the meeting. And I was like, you are going to get your butt up and drive that hour and a half to go to this damn meeting and go do it. He went there, three hour meeting. The guy's like, I want you to speak at my stage. I want you to come to my podcast. And he's already converted, I think like 20,000 in coaching from that. Like little, little nuanced things just in the moment of like, no, 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 we, we can't have that pop up. And so I asked him what I did in that moment I was like, where do you want to go? What have we talked about? I want to be here. Does the person that's there, do they think like you're thinking right now? Do they cancel a meeting the night before? No, they don't. Then you don't do that. And then what you do is you lean into it and he gets exposed to him doing the work to have the conversation to get on that stage. And now he's like, oh, that's who I am now. And if you look at how he operates now, like that would never, he'd never have that kind of conversation with me again. He would never come in and say, should I cancel? It's just, it's a different fine tuning refinement. So the coach I go through, it, it breaks these stages down and gets us to that kind of moment, opportunity wise, and then perspective wise. And what's great about what I do is it's not, hey, do all of this, learn it all, and then go apply it. It's literally a simultaneous process of I'm, I'm learning what to do. I'm structuring, I'm architecting my identity, then I'm doing the work as I go through the process. So you actually achieve while you transform. Dang, that's powerful. What's the, what's the call to action? How can people, how can people get on top of this if they're yeah. listening? I will include all the links, but I want to hear it from you because yeah. I think it's going to resonate. Well, I think for me, the, the biggest thing is people hear this and they're like, all right, it sounds good. Um, but one of the things that we do is we actually do a strategy call. So I, I have people get on the call with my team I've trained and work them through a strategy of like, hey, what are the things you need to do? And really what it is, is where are you truly at? We ask some questions, we get some answers from you. Once we find out where you're at, we get kind of close to it, never fully close to people. They don't get open that early. Then we start breaking down why you're actually there. Like, why did you get here? Then we look at how do you get out of here? And then where do you go? The biggest thing is most people also don't dream at full speed. We create dreams when we put speed bumps in the road. Like we slow down, we stop, we make left turns, unfortunately. And so what I do is I have people hold a clarity call or strategy call with my team that gives them clarity on the next stages for them. And then we present them with different options of how we work. And if you go to trucksteam.com, it's a free call. And what's cool is you get a report at the end. The report is something where you can choose for us to help you with it or for yourself to do it on your own. But at least have a picture of like, all right, here's what I need to do to get myself moving to work on the technician. And it's not like mindset. I think when I've discussed this, people think like, oh, it's mindset. No, 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 it's, it's way deeper. Mindset's one of like six concepts tied together of it. But you could have a phenomenal mindset. You could be like, I'm great and I'm powerful, but still sit on your butt. 
and do nothing mm-hmm. and have no results. Or you could have a lack of, of chip on your shoulder. Like, I think I'm great, but, but what if I, I don't know, can I? And the chip goes away. So when opportunity hits, like my guy did, he's like, I don't know, I'm going to cancel this meeting, like little stuff. And so when you understand how those all work, we guide people through this, man, it's, it's beautiful. So if you go to trucksteam.com, you hop on free strategy call, work you through it. You get a report and a plan to work through from there. Love it. That's powerful. We'll include that towards the top of the links down below too. So you guys, uh, those of you that are watching on any platform can just go ahead and click that. Highly yeah. recommend you do it. And I think it's powerful because you're taking this, this really, what, what could have been a very traumatic, dark story. And I'm sure had a lot of those elements in it. You know, you talk about um, the foster care and uh, prison system correlation um, mm-hmm. of, you know, 75%. There, there's a, statistically, uh, you are a bit of an anomaly. And I think a lot of that comes down to the ability to, to control your own mind and see that arrival point and then say, I will get there no matter what. I'll, cr- I'll, I'll crawl through the barbed wire. I'll fight the bear with my bare hand. Whatever I have to do, mm-hmm. I will get there and I will persevere. And of course, there's always little little rocks along the way that always happens mm-hmm. in life. But, but I think it's amazing that you've taken that mentality and that accountability, right? Which would be the key word there. And have started applying that to the coaching for entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs are notoriously bad at being able to self uh, analyze their own blind spots. We yeah. all think, yeah, we all think we're God. We all think we're genius. Everybody wants to be Steve jobs. <laughs> and um, yeah. you need a coach to be able to look at your situation. Like we've all had that, right? Where your friend has, you know, a, uh, a major decision and it's really easy for, for you as the mm-hmm. friend, third perspective yeah. to give them input. Inform. It's hard for them though, right? Cause when you're in it, it's hard to see, uh, it's hard to see the battlefield, so to speak, when you're down in the yeah. trenches. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, always is. I think that's powerful to unpack. And I think to take that idea of shifting the identity is important because I think, uh, just like with, with your friend or your client, uh, a lot of people, I call this trusting life too much. So, so it's two conflicting uh, concepts simultaneously. So there's this book, The Self-Made Billionaire Effect, right? And it talks about one of the biggest uh, differentiators of billionaires from everybody else is they're able to hold two uh, directly opposing ideas in their mind at the same time. And this is one of those uh, moments here on the podcast where I'm going to present that. So that is on one end, everything happens exactly the way it's supposed to. So you, so you, you know, mentioned presence, you want to be there in the moment, embrace life, everything exactly the way it, as it happens. There is no good or bad. It just simply is. Uh, but then I also have this concept that people trust life too much. And what I mean by that is they are looking at the reflection that life is giving them and they are identifying with that reflection. They're not identifying with that best case scenario themselves. They're not identifying with that potential. They're identifying with the limited reflection mm-hmm. that life is giving you. And uh, that's what I really love about your coaching is it allows people to, to kind of pull down the veil on what would otherwise be a foggy mirror. The way, I, the way I view that is if you ever had that where, you know, your mirror gets foggy and you can't see yourself, right? Yeah. That's, that's life kind of by default is mm-hmm. your destination is not that clear. Uh, you, you're not maybe in that perfect shape. You maybe don't have that perfect business that you want. And what you have to do, you have to clear the mirror so you can see it clearly and dial into it. So uh, yeah. we'll make sure we include a link uh, for that down below. It's super powerful. Um, you mind if we hit one more, one more dark moment? Hey, we got time, man. My my uh, my meeting after this, we got a leak. We got some time. Don't worry about it, man. We're we got good. some time. All right, all right. We're gonna go for it. Um, let's talk about April fifteenth, twenty fourteen. Oh man, yeah, it's one of those days. You know, yeah. I think it's probably a great great aspect because people like I typically get asked like hey, why do you do what you do and it'll all root to this you know specific day so uh when I was 14 I got adopted uh you know my mom got diagnosed with MS I'm you know my brother's off to the military like life becomes this whirlwind this crazy and then over the years I'm just trying to be uh in some way like a blessing to those who raised me I want to make sure that I was this because I was the only kid in a family of you know six kids eight of us we want to graduate the high school, go to college. And the reason why I drove to create something special was because I had this woman who loved me unconditionally. Like she was, man, she loved this bad kid who broke lamps in her house the first week I was there, like all this nuts of stuff. And what I find is, is there's a, a, some part of you that wants to give back, but you don't always quite know how. And is, is what do you, how do you get back to somebody that gives you a life? You know, like someone that brings you in is not your blood and gives you like a life. How do you get back? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. And I was my life. I was like, I want to be a good kid for that purpose. 
uh, and I had that reason, like, that's why I would go over the hardships you just talked about, like the, the moments that suck and, and the, I, why or I do identity work. And, you know, honestly, what's beautiful is there's always a reason why we're pushing past those hardships. Entrepreneurs sometimes forget what it is. We're not anchored to it enough. And I think a lot of it at the end of the day is like, you do those things, not for the end result, but for the transformation you get because you did that thing. So you do the thing just because you did the thing. But when it gets to the point of me, like, why did I get into this space in the first place? Um, April 15th, beautiful spring day in the San Francisco Bay area, man. Uh, my family was all together. My brother had come back from the, the East coast in the military and with my, my entire family, my mom, grandma, dad, everybody. And it was, it was this moment where like everybody disappeared. They took off and we were in the hospital, unfortunately. And, uh, we were just kind of in this hiatus. My mom had, you know, her MS had been kicking up. She, um, had pneumonia, so her body was fighting this. And then I remember getting to this point where the doctor was like, look, uh, we have her kind of on like a life support type thing. Uh, you know, we can leave it on forever, but you know, I don't, I don't know. She, her brain registers that she's in pain. She's not conscious. Uh, I think it's time he has a lot of some, some solo private time. And, and this is actually something I've, I've owned if I've ever shared, but like there's a moment in time where like everybody got to go in individually. And I remember going in and just having a conversation like, thank you. Like, mom, thank you so much for like making this my life for me being here with you now. Uh, and I, I promise, I said, I promise you, I will do something great to carry your memory on. And, you know, it's, it's maybe uh, even an hour later, I sit there in the, in the hospital bedroom, I'm holding mom's right hand. My dad's on her left with my grandma and my, my dad. And, uh, and we're all just watching this heart rate monitor, like, taking her off the breathing tube. And you just watch the heart rate dropping slower and slower and slower. And then we watched my mom literally inhale and just exhale her final breath. And it was like this really, it's like that silence. Like, what do you, what do you say? There's no words. It's just, everybody's, it's as real. Like a life just ended right in front of us. And it's like in that moment, there's, there's a good and a bad. The good was my mom was finally out of pain, 17 year battle out. Um, but the bad was like, man, she left this life with so much potential. Like, so she was such a joyous, amazing person. And MS is this, it's an autoimmune disease that takes your body from you. So she like used to do like, one-legged water skiing, like, you know, she just, just jump around, like, and she couldn't do it. I'm like, golly, like, there's so much potential left because of this. And I just had this thought of, like, what, what, what is life? And really, at this moment, she's 47 years old. I'm 30-ish at the time. And I'm like, man, life has gone so fast. It feels like my life, even now, 36, like, this has been a fast life. But the realization is, like, man, I could be your less time than I've already been here. I don't have time to, to deal with this. And at this moment, I've been going through divorce. My business wasn't great. I wasn't in love with what I was doing. It's like, how can I like carry her, her message on? And I've been presented with work by Brendan, actually, of like, hey, you can take your life and do something to teach and share from it that can be beneficial to the world. So I kind of had this seed planted. I was like, how do I do that? And I don't know how. And then this moment happens. My mom passed. I'm like, what if I just do what she did? Like, what if I go and unconditionally love on the rest of the world in a way that that she did no blood, no connection, but still desire to see something great and, and see something huge, but then also try to help people reach the potential that she never had the physical ability to. And so that, that moment was what created this version of Anthony. It was the catalyst to me closing my gyms, entering the space of, I will call it personal development and speaking and taking my life and then opening it up in ways that most normal people don't talk about, but extracting the lessons and extracting the concepts that I can give to the world to say, Hey, Here's how you can cross this finish line of joy or peace or income, whatever you're, you're desiring. You cross that finish line by finding a way to reach your potential, like finding a way to open up the next level of you. And it's not from what you buy. It's from who you are inside. And thank you. Um, a lot of gratitude and a lot of love, um, a lot of vulnerability uh, in that. Um, how do you go about uh, being vulnerable? Like as a man, what's the cornerstone? Because I think I have this conversation a lot. And it's like as a man, you know, you're supposed to dot dot dot, right? Never yeah. show, never show weakness, never surrender, right? We have all, and there's all these mantras, um, and really emotional uh, transmissions, if you will, are, are treated at least socially as, as more of a feminine mm-hmm. type of area traditionally right Mm -hmm. um how do you go about dialing into that and then unpacking it in a way that's powerful because i mean that's that hits home and i think that's um you you can hear it you can feel the energy it's at the core of everything you do um 
But how do you go about having that an unapologetic moment toward yourself of saying life is too short? I'm go- I'm going for it. That's it. Cause it's like tick, tick, you know, and yeah, we- we've been going 44 minutes. You don't get this 44 minutes back. I don't get it back. Uh, those of you that are listening, you guys don't get this 44 minutes back. Um, and that, there's something special in that moment of presence. We're all here together. Uh, but, but how do you go to, uh, about approaching the, the vulnerability uh, yourself on a, on a deep personal level? Yeah. Well, I agree, man. It's a, it's a world where most men, I'm a former NFL linebacker, like the most alpha guy in the most alpha sport in our society. You know, that's, that's who I was. And so that was not a common thing. It wasn't practiced. It wasn't shown. So it was new. The thing is we all have feelings, man. Like as much as women are the ones that express them, men are not devoid of them. Like they exist within us. We're humans. And so the, the majority of people just don't talk about it. That's why the suicide rate for men is like six times that of women. And it sucks. And, and the best way I can explain what vulnerability feels like, it's like jumping off a cliff every time you start having a conversation about something. Like it's a scary thing. You have no idea what's going to happen. What ends up happening the first time, like if you're a kid, you're going to jump off the water, you look down like, oh man, look how deep and far that is. Like, oh, I, don't, I can't do it. We back away from it. We go close, we back away. And then we, we never realize that if you just jump in, like you're going to be okay. And then you do it the first time. It's like, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought. And then you do it again. It's like, oh, that, that's not so bad. And after a while, I, will, I don't want to say it's like this, but like it becomes fun. Not so much that it's fun. Like I want to just go and like, you know, puke up my life on somebody I don't know. But there's, there's an enjoyment and what fine for me as an enjoyment is I was given a weird set of life experiences from the foster care to NFL to my ability to speak and have clear thought to where I, I become a person that's at the side of that, like, hey, man, come jump in with me. I'm the guy running and jumping, holding your hand. So I, I am the guy that can lead a little bit more for men to be more open and share because it's not to express your emotions. It's not a bad thing. Like, in fact, keeping in is like, like it's, it, it's like pressure pressure busts pipes and when men bust man life falls apart underneath them so for a lot of guys you don't have to go and give every single bit of you but if you keep everything close to the chest you can only process so much internally and you have if you don't have a filter and see things incorrectly in a moment of weakness you could do some dumb stuff and then myself and so for me it's like i'm really big on i need to express these things when i need to express them the first time i jumped off that cliff it was scary at this point, it's beneficial because I'm actually not only helping me, but I'm helping the rest of the people that get to see me as an example that gives them a chance to let their kind of steam out. Totally. Yeah. And do you find that it's personal therapy in a way too? Very Delivering cathartic. content. Yeah. I yeah, love it. Very cathartic. Because the thoughts, the thoughts that I have every day, I have this, uh, this notification that pops up for me to fill in something I call my waffles. My business coaching clients, I have a process of how I create concepts that they turn into content. And so every night I do it and I'm always going in and just like pulling out something from my day that I felt, that I saw, that I heard. And it's a consistent thing to where whenever I go and do share my content, it's cathartic because it comes from me and my life experiences. Absolutely. And that's real. Um, You mentioned making the jump, jumping off the cliff, if you will. I think the word there uh, would be faith. Sometimes maybe even, sometimes even blind faith, I think, uh, Mm-hmm. as a place in fact a good place um do you have a spiritual practice do you do you meditate do you yeah. pray I'm a, I'm a man of faith man we go to church every sunday every meal we pray it's uh i'm not like the the bible pushing you're a horrible person if you don't go to church i, I just know that the the way that faith has played a role in my life and where i'm at i think is is massive in the concept of what i believe and how i've seen him show up for me uh but it's a root of me right it, it gives me a sense of something bigger than me so it keeps me operating in a clean healthy way but then i'm also really big on there's always that conversation. What if God didn't exist? And, and I believe he does. And, and there's no question, but like, if I answer that question, it's like, yeah, well, if he, if he didn't, the way I'm living my life, according to that, it doesn't hurt the world. It only helps it. Yeah. So even if, even if there wasn't one, why would I not follow those, those good principles of do unto others as you would have done unto you? Like, you know, operate in a certain way of honesty and, and just integrity. And so I operate that way and it, it fills me in a positive way. So I show up strong in the world and I fight for that. Absolutely. Yeah. I believe anything that, especially where we are now planet, you know, over 7 billion people, uh, anything that brings us closer to unity is, is, is probably a good thing <laughs> given yeah. where, given where we are. Um, mm-hmm. let's, let's talk, let's talk practicals, man. Uh, let's yeah. talk morning ritual. Yeah. What's your morning ritual? Like morning ritual, simple, man. I get up. Uh, so it depends It's Monday, Wednesday, and Friday is different than Tuesday, Thursday. So Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at 5.50, my alarm goes off. I get my son up. We're out of the house, me and my oldest, 15 years old, for a lift. We go from 6 to 7. 
we're home by usually like seven Oh one or seven o'clock or in the house. I get my twins up. I take a quick shower. I get them ready for school from seven fifteen about seven forty five. I do a live stream to talk to the people of the the internet wherever it's at. <laughs> seven forty five. I take them to school. Eight o'clock. I come back home. I'm writing my book right now, so I, I write for two hours. Uh, inside of that, I take a, a supplement pack, which is more of like glucosamine for my joints, stuff for my immune system, my health. I take uh, it's called mud water. I throw some MCT oil into it also, so it has a little bit of just you know keeps my body kind of. Um, up and operating in the morning, but I don't want to have a big, heavy breakfast because I'm bogged down when I write. Uh, and then by the time about 10 o'clock hits, I'm, I'm off the rest of the day. Uh, by four, about four o'clock, I'm shutting it down and then I'm rolling. Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm up at seven o'clock. I get up at six. I kind of sleep in a little bit because I stay up a little bit later Monday, Wednesday. Uh, and then, yeah, it's Tuesday, Thursday. I have my morning time. Same thing with the kids. I get up, I get them dressed. I come back. I have uh, an eight o'clock uh, which we'll call it Tuesdays and eight o'clock client, nine o'clock coaching session, 10 to 11 Tuesday, Thursday, I have thinking time. So I legitimately sit back and I just, I get a, a piece of paper out, which is my iPad and then an Apple pencil. And I ask a question. I just answer it for an hour. I just sit and think about answers and comments and questions because I want my, my juices to flow. So if you notice a lot of my morning is like, I want my creativity to come out. I'm good for that in the morning. Uh, I get my workouts in and it all works out perfectly for me. But that allows me to, to be the most functional and most like joyous for the day I move into. Because for me, I have a different responsibility of being some people's light. Like, and I don't have a, I don't have a problem with that. I think some people have a, a weight with that. Uh, and I think they have a problem with it because internally they, they aren't clean themselves. So like, what if I get exposed? I don't have that. At the same time, like it, it helps me be better to the car, cathartically share and help and get the responses I enjoy. So um, I have a duty to take care of my mind and my heart for my kids, for my wife and for my clients and the rest of the world that follows me. That's powerful. Um, I'm going through the Tim Ferriss podcast and uh, Penn from Penn and Teller, the magician also has a, a 20, 30 minute morning ritual routine journaling. It's going to come up a lot. Um, do you ever, do you ever look back through those notes? Yeah, I'd always do. Actually. I, I try to get through them at least once a month and I actually have a, uh, a thing in my phone. So every Friday, every night at seven o'clock, I have the waffle. I also have something called day one. It's a journal app. And so uh, I go in there, I do a voice record and it transcribes it to words. And I go back and I read it every like once a month, I'll go back and choose some days. I want to recap the way Anthony was before. Uh, and then that's pretty much it. If I'm bored, I don't scroll. Sometimes I'll, it's sort of scrolling on social. I'll go and scroll through that. Like, what did I do? Like, oh yeah, I remember I did have that. That did suck. And it brings a new thought up because what happens is life is a consistent, it's a moving process. So something I might've learned after the fact, I can attach to that differently and have a different stream of thought for a different piece of content to share. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's also a component where it helps you clear, I call it mosquitoes and ping pong balls where like thoughts and obligations, right? Are like mosquitoes mm -hmm. around you and then they get in and then they're ping pong balls. And then you got to like, you got to sweep them, sweep them off the mm -hmm. cliff and let them, let them fall down. Um, that's amazing, man. We could do a whole nother session on um, performance biohacking uh, that in the future, actually, since you since you started going on it. Um, you know, me and my boy, Brandon Carter, unpack that stuff. I don't know if you know, King Keto. Uh, we'll oh, we'll be unpacking. Him. Yeah, we'll be unpacking some stuff. So he, he does a lot of uh, a lot of fitness stuff. And uh, I think yeah. that'd be a fascinating topic to circle back around to. Because oh, yeah, it's my it's a lot of my world, man. I did that. Oh, the gym. I, I'm actually looking at my gym. I'm at my wife's business in front in my truck because it's my life schedule is crazy. Yeah. I'm looking at a gym I sold a year and a, a year and three months ago. So I, fitness was my thing for a decade. I love it, man. It's it's powerful. There, there's a ton more to unpack. I'd love to um, have you back sometime. You know, this year, as schedule allows, obviously. Uh, yeah, we'll some time. You know, unpack um, peak performance. Unpack. Uh, I think testosterone control would be fascinating to look at mm -hmm. how we manage that. And you know, I'm 32. Mm -hmm. You mentioned you're 36. So yeah. as we as we get to become, you know, old grandpas here, uh, how we go about that uh, management, um, keeping your mind on track. I mean, there's so many things to unpack here. The number one thing I want to hammer home is um, we're going to pop a link for your coaching. Uh, mm -hmm. Those of you that are still listening, honestly, there's, there's a reason, right? I truly believe there's this idea like uh, uh, marketers will do this. They'll go, it's a special time in history right now because of this. I believe every moment is a special time in history because that moment only happens once. That's it. There's no rewind button. Um, and, and you'll see this with social media where we kind of distort reality into thinking we can replay our own lives and now we're not actually living them. So yeah. I urge, the, yeah, I urge those of you that are listening to, to, you know, grab the call, check out the coaching. And, um, you know, I want to be respectful of your time here. We've got a couple minutes to wrap up. Um, yeah. 
I would say let's, let's fast forward. Um, you know, we're at the end of, of the journey, the life journey. And uh, I can't be heavy, man. You're the, you're the one now there in, in the bed and your kids are coming to you. And you got those last couple things, those last couple words of wisdom to impart uh, to your loved ones. What are those like? Man, I don't know. You know, it's, I don't have a bunch of sadness, though. I think when I think of that, I live my life consistently in a place where I know my kids know I love them. Um, my wife knows I love her. My friends know how much I care. My clients, like everybody, I'm consistently in a space of I, I give love and share overly. You know, I give a lot of that energy that, that people are seeking from somebody for so long. I give it early. And so is that part of it. Uh, I think at the back end, I, I just want them to, to look at me and say, and more so like, hey, guys, I'm an example of how you can live a life right. I am far from perfect, but I've always desired to do right. And I, all I expect for you is to go out and be, be at a point where someone is, is wanting to come see you off. So like, if I am in those beds, like that, that kind of like I say, I'm sitting there, I have this quote that I'd say is the last person I want to meet my deathbed's the person I could have been genuinely. And so I'm always like, what's that new weird thing I can do? So if I'm looking at that moment in time, wait, let's say it's like 50 years from now, hopefully I can sit there with a smile and be like, guys, don't cry a tear. <laughs> like I squeeze the damn life out of this life of mine. And at the end of the day, I'm just happy that you guys can go into your life and be proud to say I'm your dad, proud to say I'm your cousin, friend, brother, and some, whatever that might be. Uh, and so for me at those moments, I guess in parting upon them, I think what's, what's unique is I'll learn more along the journey that I'll have to say better than, but if I was to have to say it right now, what I would come with, it would be um, live very honest uh, and have great integrity, not just for the world outside, but for the world that you create with how you operate, right? Create internally with, with saying integrity, what you believe and what you love, what you care about, your values, your beliefs, don't skew, don't stray, because those will be the things that plant seeds of negativity that climb into you, not liking yourself. And, and when you can fight the hard fight in the moment when it has to be fought, of sticking to your guns, knowing what's right, doing what's right, saying that thing you're supposed to say, having the hard conversations, telling people how much you love them. If you do that, you'll never wake up or go to sleep any point in time with a struggle. And that's for me, the, one of the greatest joys of my life is I can fall asleep in 20 seconds and I get up every day with creepy joy because I'm like, I get to go into something amazing. Nothing's a problem. And if I could pass that on to my kids, that'd be it. And it's going to be a matter of being of honesty and integrity to yourself and the world in all moments. That's deep. Anthony, thank you for being here, brother. Um, there's a lot more we can unpack. There's a lot deeper we can go. There's how many people will be at your funeral. There's that quote. There's, yeah. there, there's so much deeper we can dive. Um, I just want to thank you for being here. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for sharing the wisdom. Thank you yeah. for being present. Uh, in the moment, uh, there's a great depth of gratitude I have for you. And uh, I just want to extend that to you and say thank you. Um, I hope you have the best freaking day today. You too, man. Ever. Thank you. Um, I always <laughs> say, you know, the future is the most exciting place you ever get to go to. Yeah, almost, as almost as exciting as the now. You know, so yeah. that, that's, the, that's the way we, we do it. Um, if you got a, a final message for, for anyone listening, uh, I'll let you close it out from here. If you want to pump yeah. anybody up, if you want to, if you want to go full on stage mode, uh, whatever oh, it takes. Yeah. Stage now, mode. Stage Yell in my mode. car. Ah, you know, there's, there's always one thing I do leave people with. And I get that same question a lot. And there's, there's a, it, it ties to my brand, which is shift right now. I was supposed to be able to own your shift, man. And in that one word or statement of words, sorry, there's, there's three separate words that have individual meaning. And the first one is you have to own. So the big thing for me is you have to understand there's a problem. Like it's not that it has to be a problem, but it doesn't have anything magical happen. Sometimes it's just a realization of, Hey, I don't like this. And that becomes a realization, but own that something is, is keeping you from where you want to be. And there's a problem you got to work on then your, which means you got to do the work just because a problem doesn't mean that you can give it to somebody else. Like you got to do the work. It may not have been your fault or responsibility to take care of that. So once you realize there's some, something wrong, there's work to do that you got to do, you have to do the shift. Some people will be okay knowing something's wrong. It's their fault and it's never fixing it. And it's weird. So for me, I'm like, no, like, don't be okay with being okay. Like, change something. So shift. Do the work. Like, shift your perspectives, shift your actions, shift your reactions, shift your beliefs, and shift everything. about. And then it happens on the outside. You do it internally, things outside start changing. You change your life. So if you own your shift, you can make shift happen. Love it. Anthony, thank you so much, brother. Uh, crush it today. I uh, look forward to Love having you too. back and uh, I'll talk to you soon, brother. Cheers. All right, man. Take care. 
Take care. It really is a revolution. Incredible rapidity. One electrical arc after another. Still trying to get myself adjusted. 